You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. One of the most amazing things about being an NFL fan is that you spend months from the day the schedule is being released looking forward to particular marquee matchups, games that on paper look like it could be absolutely better, games that look like they could be legendary, games that look like they will be memorable. And tonight on Thursday Night Football, already in week two, we get one of those. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And we got a lot to get to tonight, Sarah. But obviously at the forefront of everybody's mind is an 8.15 p.m. Eastern kickoff between the Chargers and the Chiefs in Kansas City, two of the best teams in the AFC West, two of the best teams in the AFC, two of the best teams in the NFL, two of the young, great quarterbacks everybody wants to see play each other. This matchup has everything you could possibly want if you love football. Well, we know what's top of your mind, and that's your aces trying to win a title tonight. You are live from the Connecticut <laughs> Arena in enemy territory, but I yes. appreciate you being a professional. We'll push that aside. We I'm will get to that now. next. We will. Yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Proud of you, son. Uh, let's talk Chargers Chiefs because yeah, this is it, it, it's. I can't decide. Is it is it awesome that we're getting this so early because you want to spread these out, or is there any part of you that it feels bittersweet because you don't want to be able to say, well, yeah, when they saw each other in that early game, this hadn't happened or this hadn't been figured out, and it doesn't mean as much. Yeah, I think there's an interesting point to that because I love divisional matchups, but I also kind of like the way they do everything in college athletics at times where you're going to go through you know, all your random matchups early and then you suddenly get to the meat of your schedule against your division for that very reason. I think maybe teams have a better sense of themselves late, but there are certain times that you look at what we're going to see between these two teams, and it's so easy to overreact to what we saw in week one. What makes this game hard is that I think this is truly the first time we're going to get a chance to see two great teams against two great teams where we can get a better sense of who they are. But you're right, they'll look much different by the end of the year. Yeah, and this might be one of the few games this year where the Chargers are the underdog, which is interesting. If they continue to play up to expectation, um, I, I'm I'm mostly excited to see how this Chargers team shows up in a really important game because the the conversation around this Chargers team isn't that they're the next or what Herbert could be. He already is. And they need to win some games against the very best. He needs to go toe-to-toe with Mahomes. Their defense needs to be creative enough to shut down an offense that looked absolutely like world beaters last week against the Cardinals. We need to see those moments from the Chargers where it ends up meaning something. For instance, you look at that incredible, one of the best football games I've ever seen in my life last year against your Raiders. And the end result was, well, that was fun, but didn't mean much, which is kind of what their seasons have been the last couple of years, right? And so what do they do in this game that makes you think, okay, they've taken that next step? You know, by the way, you, you make such a great point when it comes to the way we view Justin Herbert, because let's be real. How often do we sit here and find reason to fault Lamar Jackson for his playoff performances without mm-hmm. ever even acknowledging that, that Herbert hasn't even played in a playoff game at this point? Like, for all of the greatness we're heaping on Justin Herbert, the Chargers have not been able to take advantage of it. And the, the job gets more difficult tonight with Keenan Allen being out. What I think is really interesting is last week, and I know I've, I've spewed this stat out a few times, but I think it's important. Last week against the Raiders, the Raiders' defensive line actually put up the fifth-best pass rush win rate in the entire NFL for the weekend and got zero sacks out of it. Pro Football Focus credited Justin Herbert specifically with uh, with avoiding three sacks 
that would have been typically uh, would have been landed, right? So right. there's this moment where you look at what he was able to do in the pocket last week and say now he's got to do it against, I think, an even better defense than the Raiders have on paper. He's going to have to come in and show that same level of elusiveness because it's on Justin Herbert to win these football games. I, uh, th- there is th- That is all the, the Chargers have. Justin Herbert has got to go out and be sensational every single week. He does. And, you know, there is a lot on Brandon Staley. In his second year here with the team, he got a lot of criticism last year for his aggressiveness. He would say at every turn, I'm trying to teach my team their approach, not just on fourth down or in big third down situations, but throughout the game and this aggressiveness and this fearlessness and this approach that I have to play calling, I want to extend to all the members of my team. You know, there were some problems with the strategies. There were issues, especially with special teams, too. Some of the kicking and punting. There were some injuries that affected his his decision-making. But um, he will not be able to maybe get away with as much in the second year if it doesn't play out. You'll be able to look back and say, hey, you tried this last year and the result was the same. You didn't learn from that. Or you need to not put your team in a position where your aggressiveness ends up being a flaw. For as much as we like when the metrics tell us to be aggressive, as much as we like coaches that are a little bit more fly by the seat of their pants, this season means so much to this franchise that he has to be really smart about that decision-making. The other side of this is Kansas City, and there was a good article in The Ringer today talking about essentially everything that the Cardinals did wrong in defending Kansas City. And I I just think the game plan that Arizona put in was absolutely pathetic. There's just no nice way to say it. This game is going to look much different to me when Kelsey has to beat out Derwin James. Like that, that's a much more difficult matchup. The, the Chargers have so many superstars on the defensive side of the ball this year that they should be able to disrupt Kansas City. I think this is going to this game will give us a much better sense of Tyreek Hill not being with the Chiefs mm-hmm. than last week did. I completely agree with that. I mean, I think you looked at last week and it was way too easy for Mahomes to spread the ball to so many different weapons. You didn't have to get all that I mean, they were created, but you didn't have to because you weren't really pressured. In this case, what will Mahomes do and the Chiefs do if they're being limited by that Chargers defense? If This is another interesting thing, too, that, that I'm curious about when you look to this game. Is it going to be two quarterbacks at their best high-flying offense, or is it going to be two defenses that manage to read the other ones and keep it low scoring? Because I think I – think a lot of people are saying take the under, actually, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's a short week. You've got two offenses that can be explosive, but I'm going to take the advantage of the defenders in this matchup. So it makes a lot of sense. You guys can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We're going to have you guys tweet us on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, a little bit about this game because there is one technology component to it. A lot of people are just now figuring out that in an hour, uh, there's going to be a game kicking off for Thursday Night Football that is only available to you if you're outside the local market on Amazon Prime. So for most of the country sitting around saying, how do I watch this game, sir? You, you've got to know, you've, A, you've got to have Prime. B, you got to know how to watch that and stream it to your television. And while that sounds funny to some people that are listening, there's a whole section of the population that has no damn clue how to do that. And that includes people in our business. I saw some <laughs> tweeting with each other today. Holy cow, I just realized I don't know how to watch the game tonight. And I will offer myself up as someone who said, but can I DVR it? 
if I'm going to be midway through this show and I want to watch it from the beginning instead of jumping in partway through, and you can on the Amazon Prime app, set it to record before the game starts so that when I want to start it, I can start it from the beginning. If you set it to record midway through the game, you have to wait till it's done. So we're all learning together. But I, it made me think, Fitz, if there was a tech innovation or massive tech pivot in some whether that's sports or otherwise, that made you feel the oldest? Was it the first time there was a brand new app that everybody raced to and you had absolutely no desire to be a part of? Was it something like uh, jumping from BlackBerry to iPhone where it took you years to do it even as everybody else left? Was it when people stopped faxing each other? I don't know how old our listeners are, but let's find out if you can pinpoint the one tech innovation or moment that you realized, oh no, I'm an old. There was somebody the other day that said, hey, I can fax you that form. And I just sat there flabbergasted. <laughs> I thought they were joking with me, and it turns out they weren't. They were like, no, people still have that. I, I refuse to believe it. Also, I've never felt more out of touch when I looked and realized that I have old VHS tapes that I wanted to try and convert. And if you look on eBay right now and try and, try and find a VCR to do that, my God, we could retire if I just had a whole garage full of those. Uh, so tweet us your uh, your 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 tech uh, complications, and uh, I think we'll have a little bit of fun with that as the show uh, continues to go on. In the meantime, we will break down Thursday night football all night. We're going to get you updated on Thursday night football all night. But I am currently sitting in enemy territory, but my hosts don't know it. We'll explain it to you next as we get ready for the WNBA final Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And obviously Thursday night football kicking off in about an hour. Got plenty of guests to get you caught up on that. We'll get you ready for the game and uh, some of the week one or week two, I should say, action coming up. But as I speak right now, Sarah, I am sitting underneath the arena at Mohegan, uh, which is the home of the Connecticut Sun, awaiting Game 3 of the WNBA Finals. As everyone knows, my Las Vegas Aces are up 2 nothing, And I say that I say it quietly because, see, Connecticut's been a glorious host. i got to be honest, like they've been super <laughs> nice, and everybody's worked this out. They've got me in a little – I'm in an actual office that is used by some of the staffers on, with the coaching staff. Like I'm back amongst the area. Like the, you know, the, the some of the other coaches, their doors are right next to me. Like everybody's been really nice today. I'm wearing the orange WNBA hoodie mm -hmm. that's a signature hoodie that happens to – match the colors of Connecticut. So, you know, I'm just trying to play nice till we get through the show because I think if they find out the way I'm leaning in this matchup, I might be forced to leave. I was going to say, there's a reason they're being nice, and that's because they don't seem to know that you are a fan of the enemy and could potentially be a secret agent who has, while entering the space that they've allotted for you to do the show, set up uh, some cameras, set up mm. some microphones, potentially mm. set up a direct line to the locker room for the Aces, whereby they can hear the scheming and plans of the coaches for their opponent. I mean, the fact that they haven't considered this is really a, a, an issue on their end. It's an oversight. Or, or they looked at my resume, consumed some of my work, and realized I'm not, I'm too stupid to really be concerned about. <laughs> That's the other the other side of this. Uh, it's going to We've be. We've seen a, some really dumb people a, accomplish some pretty <laughs> terrible things lately. I don't think we should. Uh, continue to underestimate literally anyone. I mean, the, the biggest concern I have is I'm in a very secure area that requires a badge to get in and out, so I will not be able to, to tinkle during the duration oh, no. of our show. We're just going to have a, to see. You're a multi-time tinkler. The yeah. number of times during a show that you tell us you're going to take a tinkle is yeah. many. 
Yeah, I, I don't have any water, so that's going to also help me. I got no, I got, I'm not consuming any liquids so that I can try not to pee in somebody's office. That's really the, the, the main goal here. Uh, we are going to get a great matchup tonight. I expect a fiery crowd. Connecticut crowds are, are oftentimes very good anyway. I think Sun fans know what they're up against in this situation. Uh, Connecticut needs a little bit of uh, home cooking. And my hope specifically, above and beyond what I hope for for the Aces that I've been very clear about, uh, I, I hope that coming home provides uh, Dewana Bonner the opportunity to have a little bit more comfort playing so that she can have a great game. And in that great game, you know, Connecticut also loses and the Aces win the championship. That's my goal tonight. Yeah, it's very nice of you to say, and I agree with you. I think when we win, we want our opponent to still play well, and we want to beat them at their best. And Dewana Bonner's had a, a great postseason up until this final, so you just you hate to see any good player struggle in the biggest, brightest moment, and she really has in this series. So yeah, you want you want her to have a good game, but still get your aces. Uh, to finish strong. And honestly, you know, I was listening to Sue Bird and she's going to join us later in the show. I was listening to her great interview with Pablo Torre, uh, which he jokingly called an exit interview on ESPN daily as she wraps up her career. And the way she talked about what Chelsea Gray is doing, what Asia Wilson is doing um, was almost, I want, I don't want to say hopeless because I can't imagine Sue Bird has ever in her lifetime been hopeless in any situation, but was such a frustration from how things panned out in that series with her storm, how difficult it was to guard someone who is playing the way that those two are playing, particularly Chelsea Gray. You had a stat about her success against contested uh, with contested shots in this series. And it's, it's inhuman. Yeah. She's 18 of 27 right now on contested shots in the finals. That's 66.7%. When you think about that, all the other players combined are shooting 36% on contested Unbelievable. shots. When you think about what she's doing, no matter what they try to do to defend her, I think that's a huge and important part of this conversation because we all know that Asia Wilson's the league MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year, and, and she's incredibly important. I, I, it is hard to make an argument that Chelsea Gray hasn't put herself in the WNBA Finals MVP conversation yep. simply from the well, way she's Well, she's in played. the conversation. Do you, mean, yeah. do you mean has asserted herself as the front runner? I think she I is. I don't know how you pick. I, I really don't. I don't know if you can have a tie. But they probably should. I mean, co-MVPs would, would feel right in this situation. Yeah. And if you're Connecticut, your your best case hope is that you can figure out how to slow down one of the three because I will include Kelsey Plum in this. Had a great right. game, too. I, that's just easier said than done. And I know our, our digital WNBA hoop streams pregame show, is uh, it starts in a few minutes. And, and I was talking to some of the people involved with that. And we're having these sort of Golden State-type conversations around the Aces because they're so difficult to defend. And while I think they're very different stylistically, I think that's a pretty apt comparison in the difficulty you face when you're facing three players that are all on fire to the level that they have been. Yeah, and it's frustrating for me as a Sky fan because I think that's the same conversation we were having ahead of their postseason run. How do you stop Candace and Emma Mieseman and Vandersloot and Quigley? You know, how do you have this team with so many superstars and so many weapons? And the Sun managed to muck it up enough and make it messy enough. And props to both Becky Hammond and to the players on the Aces for not letting the Sun do what they were able to do against the Sky. They've been able to adjust, particularly in the paint, and that's why that clip's been going around of how proud Becky Hammond was of her team for outscoring, almost doubling them up in the paint, was 
She knows that that's where they're great, and she knows where that's where they try to make it sticky, and her team was having a ton of success anyway. No matter how much Connecticut tried to clog things up in there, the Aces were getting their shots off, and that's a huge part of why they've been able to avoid the same traps that the sky fell into. I am curious because depth is something we've talked about a lot on this show for the Aces over the course of the entire season. When you are going West Coast to East Coast with one day rest and you're taking on a very physical Connecticut team and you are not particularly the deepest roster, I do wonder when you factor that in with what I think is going to be a really electric home crowd environment for Connecticut, could that be enough to push the Sun to get a big win here? That's, I think, my biggest concern in this matchup. It is possible that was the one real Achilles heel that we talked about with this Aces team. Um, I was made much less worried about that when Asia played all but four minutes of their four-game series with the Storm that went into overtime, too. Those more than more than four regular uh, uh, duration games and four minutes total rest for her. She's been unbelievable. Um, I'm not as worried. Would I be absolutely shocked if the, if the Sun won this and pushed it? No. But at this point, I would be shocked if they won the series. Yeah, I, I would too. And, and not just about the players we've talked about. I know we mentioned Becky Hammond a little bit, but I don't think you can say enough positive things about her accomplishments this season and the difference that she has made on the sideline, mm -hmm. not just for the Aces, but for the entire league. When you see Pop coming out, that's just a different level of star power. Yeah, first uh, person to play in the WNBA Finals and coach in the WNBA Finals, I believe, uh, and now looking to win it. Yeah, this is going to be a big game tonight. Obviously, I'll be there. So follow me on social media for all my lack of professionalism there. In the meantime, <laughs> Don't get there fired. are some teams that won in the NFL in week one, but they might have been fooling us. We'll tell you why, and we'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Week two in the NFL is a time for us to get some real answers about teams for questions that we were asking all offseason, and there are teams that you watched in week one and you said, oh, okay, I think that's a pretty close approximation of what that football team's going to look like all year, and there are plenty that left us wondering. And there are two in particular that absolutely fooled us, pulled the wool over our eyes, tricked us in week one, and could show their true colors this weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz, let's talk about these two teams that fooled us and the opportunity that we're going to have this weekend to see just how much of what, what we saw week one was for real and how much was them getting away with something. And I want to start with the Steelers. This one is close to my heart because you know that I had plenty of time in the Mitchell Trubisky experiment. And what I saw from the Steelers in week one looked a whole lot like what Mitchell Trubisky looked like early in his career with the Bears, which is to say, fine, not very good, buoyed by an excellent defense, and getting by without having to do much. Right now, the Steelers, because of that week one win, presumably, are favorites against the Patriots, 52%. Caesars has New England minus one over under 40 and a half in this game. This is the first meeting between these teams since 2019, week one. It's been a long time since we've seen these teams face each other. And the thing for me with the Steelers is how much of what we saw was true to any game against any opponent and how much was rooted in a terrible start from the Bengals, a terrible start from Joe Burrow, and a completely lopsided turnover margin. Bill Barnwell talked about this when he was on well, with Pablo on ESPN Daily, and he said, listen, man, what we saw from the Steelers just told us their offense is not good. The offense is bad. 
It is a bad offense in Pittsburgh. They scored 16 points against the Bengals on 13 possessions. And that was mostly with Najee Harris, their first-round pick at running back from a year ago, who appeared to re-aggravate the Liz Frank injury to his foot he suffered during the preseason. Harris, who apparently has a big hat, said he expects <laughs> to play this weekend, but it's unclear whether he's 100% or likely to make it through the entire game, which he did not do last week. The Steelers just do not have much at running back behind their star runner, who averaged 2.3 yards per carry while maybe struggling with his foot injury in the opener. And on top of that, Mitch Trubisky, who was making his first start. Ah, uh, yes. We meet again, Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> his first start since leaving the Chicago Bears looked a lot like the Mitch Trubisky we all know and love. The former MVP uh, played like an MVP. Just covered in slime. It felt like he was getting the slime off after a year in Buffalo in Cincinnati last week. He averaged just over five yards per pass attempt. That's just really about as bad as it gets for a quarterback in 2022. So first of all, in case you don't remember, NVP refers to the Nickelodeon valuable player, which doesn't make any sense. And neither was the fact that Mitchell Trubisky was named that after a postseason loss. But it was like a little bit of a Bodie McBoatface situation there where the fans wanted to see it happen. Uh, Fitz, I mean, I think that's a really good analysis from Bill. And you look at the fact that the Bengals almost won that game despite the massive turnover disparity. Yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of what the Bengals can hold their hat on for why they're better than that result and why you should be concerned if you're the Steelers. I mean, when you when you force that many turnovers, and, and granted, part of it you can say is, well, they were getting after the quarterback. Well, I mean, so does everybody right now. We'll see if that gets better, but everybody gets after Joe Burrow right now. So, you know, if you're the Steelers, you can look at it and say a disruptive defense. I think we're, you're 1,000% right that they are not as good as that 1-0 record, which is a funny statement to say out loud. The only interesting thing to me is they're playing a Patriots team that you know I don't love offensively this week either. So I think the Steelers could get to 2-0 and and still not be any good. Like, that's the weird part about some of what we'll see in the first couple of weeks. Who you play and how they play in those games will matter as much as anything else as we try to figure out who's actually good in the AFC. I don't think the Steelers are particularly good. I think the Patriots are abysmal. So uh, it, it's going to be funny. Can they continue to, to live in a house of cards? I completely agree. The, the Patriots' defense might be the worst that Bill Belichick's ever had, and the offense behind Mac Jones, who's dealing with back spasms um, and looked terrible all offseason and continued to look incredibly frustrating in week one. Uh, it, this is a game that could result in us knowing nothing more about the Steelers than we do now. It could be another pulling the wool over our eyes with a win uh, that they don't earn so much as stumble into but it might tell us something about the Patriots, huh? Yeah, a thousand percent. And if you're the Patriots, you are starting to get a little bit concerned, you know, because I know it's only one game, but again, we've seen how good Buffalo is. You can't lose two games in the AFC to start your season and then feel really good about your chances to be able to fight your way into the wild card conversation even. Like, you're going to need these AFC wins at some point. And for the Patriots, knowing that you've got a couple of games against Buffalo coming up, Man, you don't want to start 0-2 and specifically 0-2 in the AFC. One thing we did see from New England in week one was three sacks against Miami. Trubisky uh, did not get great protection from the uh, the revamped front of that Steelers team. Um, they did not give him a ton of time, and he has not turned the ball over at all in the preseason or week one, so this might be an opportunity for the Patriots to try to force Mitchell into some mistakes. We'll see. 
in that game whether the Steelers have something there or if we were just being fooled in week one. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's talk about the other team that we think kind of tricked us uh, by believing there was more to it after a week one win, and that's the Dolphins that we just mentioned. Bill also talked about this team on ESPN Daily, and he pointed out the difference between the Dolphins emerging with the win and the Patriots that we just discussed taking that loss was more about whether the team capitalized on mistakes. The big difference between the Patriots and the Dolphins in this game on offense, and this is my apology to two and on in advance, mm. the Patriots lost both of their fumbles, and a Mac Jones pass was intercepted in the end zone on a tip drill, while the Dolphins not only recovered both of their fumbles on offense, they had two would-be to a Tango Vailoa interceptions dropped by New England. Hmm. I, I mean, mean, that can be it sometimes. That can be it in a game win. Those little moments when you're taking on a team that, again, if I if I think the Patriots is as are inept as I just said, and then you factor that in, that doesn't speak to having a lot of belief in Miami either. And you know, you can look at Tua with the expectations that are going to be there, especially with Tyreek Hill, and you say, okay, it's one thing to look the way that you looked and get a win, fine, against New England. Now you're going to be taking on a Ravens team that, even though they've got some injuries are still substantially better on paper. When the Dolphins go into Baltimore and just get absolutely abused throughout the course of that game, I think we're going to have a much better sense of who they are going into this season, too. It's good to get a win against the Patriots, but I don't believe in Miami at all. Yeah, I... I am torn because coming into the season, I did have much better expectations for the Dolphins than in previous years, and I expected to see a step forward. I'm, I'm, jury's still out. I think it's particularly tough. It's with a team that's under a first-time head coach uh, to figure out how long they'll need for what we're watching to be a full incarnation of of that coach's vision and what that team can be. And that's partly why I think even. If they fare poorly against Baltimore, uh, the consistency year to year across quarterback, head coach, et cetera, with the Ravens, um, it, it's not necessarily a fair matchup to see who the Dolphins could be by year's end. I, I love that point, and you are so right. And let me say, I, I think by the end of the year, the Dolphins turn out to be an okay football team. I don't think right. that all hope is lost, but you are a thousand percent right that we can't look at Mike McDaniel and say, hey, fix everything after one game. It's going to take a little bit of time, and we're just going to get a better judge of where they are in that process when they're taking on a buzzsaw known as the Ravens. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking about two teams that tricked us in week one, whether or not we'll have a better idea of who they are in week two. And I think your point is a valid one. The Patriots aren't that good. So if the Steelers win, that's not them disproving our theory. It's (laughs) simply that they've lucked out in facing a Patriots team that looks uh, like it might be abysmal this year. As for the Dolphins, if they get another win against this Ravens team, man, do expectations for Miami go up a lot. Yeah, and I'll owe some people an apology after all the hot takes I just spewed out of it. You're not wrong. If the Dolphins start 0-2 and get the win here, then we're all going to step back and say, holy cow, what have they figured out? You know, that, that, that is very re- that'll be our biggest overreaction Monday morning if the Dolphins win this game. Yeah, the Ravens uh, ran the ball for just 64 yards last week. Uh, Lamar had three touchdowns, 17 to 30 for 213 yards and a pick. Miami should be able to win if they can keep them that limited. But, of course, more time for Lamar, more time for him to figure out how to use his weapons without Marquise Brown. Um, and that was against the Jets again. So maybe we should also be asking if the Ravens needed to show us even more against a Jets team that – 
is trash. Uh, a lot of questions will be answered in week two with those teams and more. We'll get into a couple other matchups later. And, of course, we'll keep you updated on the exciting Thursday night matchup we've got tonight. How good can the Chiefs be this season? And what will tonight's game against the Chargers tell us? It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Fitz is in enemy territory. Hanging out at the Connecticut Sun Arena. He's got a WNBA sweatshirt on, but he's hiding a Raiders sweatshirt in his bag. Which, by the way, I'm going to say yet again, the I couldn't find Aces gear last minute excuse sounds pretty lame when you had an entire season to buy some gear that you could rock to their game tonight. It's 58 degrees. I'm not wearing a shirt. I need a hoodie. I'm a hoodie guy, Sarah. And like, I didn't have a, the I don't have a zip up for a hoodie. keep coming. My hope Holy is that, my hope cow. is that when I get out there, there's going to be like a, I've, I've got the There'll hope be merch. at least. There that, should be, be merch. Like, that, that doesn't say just Connecticut on it. That's the one. Like if there is anything here that says WNBA finals and has both teams on it, I'll buy that in a heartbeat. Okay. I'll, spend my I'll tell you that WNBA all-star outside of the stadium here in Chicago, there were lots of vendors selling things of a variety of different kinds. So uh, fingers crossed for you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, or, Jason Although Fitz. I could take that money and use it on the roulette table. That seems like a good investment afterwards. ESPN Maybe play Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. This guy, Clay. Claims to be a diehard, doesn't have any gear to wear, is considering using his money for that gear on gambling instead. I got a t-shirt. I got a t-shirt. And yet here he is, pretending like he deserves to be holed up in the Connecticut Sun Arena, getting a credential for tonight's Game 3. Uh, by the way, you can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Uh, let us know. I've got some good answers to our question about tonight's Thursday night football game. I want to get some more, though. Uh, people who are just now realizing that they won't be able to watch this Chargers-Chiefs game on basic cable, scrambling to try to understand Prime and, and how to use it, what was the one tech innovation or app or change that made you realize you're an old? And uh, we're getting some good ones. A lot of people saying TikTok. Uh, a mm, lot of yeah. people saying when you have to get a new phone and then you re-log in to all the things that you had just set up to automatically log in and you realize you don't know any of your passwords or how to use things, it's decent. Uh, that's just being old and forgetful. Uh, someone said, every time I say no when someone asks if I have a Venmo, yeah, just oh, get yeah. one, man. It's going to make your life so much easier. Splitting dinner bills, going on trips together, just get a Venmo, man. Uh, by the way, there's an app I just started using after my trip called Splitwise. Oh, I love Splitwise. It was oh, incredible for the yeah. three of us. Basically, every time we did anything, we just immediately logged it in, and it split it in, in three ways or two or whatever it was by the end of the trip. Instead of trading money back and forth the whole time, it's like, okay, by the end, you owed this person this many money, and, and that's it. It's great. Yeah. I I, um, I I was a fanatic for that, by the way. They should start endorsing the show because like Splitwise, look at I'm both of us. All in I'm in. all in on Splitwise. And by the way, the phone password thing, like I hear everybody on that, but you, you need to update your phone because nowadays all you do is just put your old iPhone next to your new iPhone and they immediately say, Do you want to transfer this? And it's done. That's all you have to yeah, do. That's fair. But I think on the new device, sometimes they still require a login because you haven't authorized that device. Mm. And that's to avoid people being able to log in from places without it letting you know that it's a new 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 device. Uh, a lot of people saying crypto and NFTs, and I will 100% agree that when something like that comes in and it's there's ads everywhere and celebrities, and you're just like, 
yeah, I just don't care enough to, to, to get into that. That's when you realize you're like, I'm going to die before this matters. And I'm okay <laughs> with that. Uh, keep the questions or sorry, the answers coming. We'll keep them updated here on the technology or the app that made you realize, oh no, I'm old. Uh, it's Bain and Fitz. Let's get back into this Thursday night game. Uh, we're going to talk to Lindsay Theory about the uh, Charger side of things, but let's talk a little bit of Chiefs here in advance of this matchup. It's an 8:15 Eastern start. Again, it is on Amazon Prime. So if you don't know how to do that, download the app, get to your smart TV, figure it out so you can watch this. It's going to be a hell of a matchup. Both teams come in having won their week one matchups. And Dan Orlovsky is, is pretty hot on the Chiefs in this one, despite a lot of people thinking it's to be close. He was on first take and pretty definitively chose uh, Mahomes and company. The Chiefs will win tonight. Out of these two teams, they're the team that I saw be able to do whatever they wanted to offensively last week. They had 66 plays run. They got 33 first downs. That's 50% of the time they ran a play, they got a first down. That's the best mark in a decade. But it was more so for me the ability to run the football when they put two tight ends on the field. Patrick played phenomenal. Justin played phenomenal. But there's multiple times last week in the Chargers game versus the Raiders on obvious third and one, third and two situations, they tried to run the football and they couldn't. While the Chargers played a good football team with the Raiders, they got three takeaways and had to hang on at the end of that football game. They're still too reliant on Justin Herbert being Superman. You agree with that take? I, Yes, but I think he's underselling. I mean, I agree with his analysis. I picked the Chargers to win this game, uh, but I agree with his analysis to a certain point. I think you've got to, though, also factor in how poorly the Cardinals, uh, the, how terrible their game plan was, uh, specifically for the way they blitzed, for specifically the way they tried to basically decide whatever slow linebacker they had could just uh, trinity trot alongside Travis Kelsey. Like, the Cardinals' game plan made me feel like they didn't watch a single Chiefs game last year. And when you have the Raiders <laughs> taking on the Chargers, you have two teams that know each other incredibly well, even with new coaching staffs. They still are going to have some concept of what the players on these rosters are capable of. They know a little bit more about how to defend each other. I thought the Raiders played well against the Chargers for the most part, minus the turnovers. I thought the Cardinals were an abomination against the Chiefs. So, like, it's hard for me to say, well, the Chiefs did whatever they want. Of course, they were playing a JV football team. That's a difference. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the Raiders' defense is nothing to write home about, but they still are. That was that looked like a better back, you know, back and forth matchup than what we saw between the Chiefs and the Cardinals. And deciding whether that's entirely about the dominance of the Chiefs or more about what the Cardinals showed up with is tough at this point. I'm going to need a larger sample size from both the Raiders and the Cardinals against other teams. Uh, Bill Barnwell was on ESPN Daily. We keep playing the sound because he's so darn good on that show. He and Pablo do a great job of getting you ready and reacting. Uh, in this case, he looks ahead to what the Chargers' approach to the Chiefs might be tonight. I think the Chargers are not going to do that. Even though they blitzed Mahomes more than anybody else in football last year, they were only blitzing him 27% of the time. That was before they added Cleo Mack, who looked great in Week 1, and several new defensive tackles to their front four. Brandon Staley is known as a coach who prefers to play those Vic Fangio style, two high coverages, and the Chargers played two deep safeties more than 44% of the time against Mahomes last season. And granted, they'll miss star cornerback J.C. Jackson, their big free agent signing from the offseason, who's yet to make his Chargers debut after suffering one of the many mysterious injuries that have plagued Chargers stars over the last decade, this time in ankle. But I do think we'll see something more like the defense we saw from opposing teams last year against Mahomes this upcoming week. 
And having had an entire offseason to cook up solutions, both in terms of personnel and in terms of scheme, to address those two high looks, we're going to see what Mahomes, Reed, and company have cooked up this Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I think, so we started off, I should have set it up by by offering that he was talking about that cover two, that two deep safety. Um, he was also talking about the, the blitz and the pressure on Mahomes. Um, and I think you know, what strategies teams try to use to make Mahomes look human will be fascinating because a lot of it worked for a while last year. The Chiefs did not start the season looking like we expected or as as good as they could be um, because teams started to take away those big plays and said, hey, dink and dunk, be willing to be patient. And at first, Mahomes wasn't great at that. You saw even later when the Bengals were dropping eight. I mean, they really started to throw some wild things to see what he could do. And in some cases, it it really worked for a while. So I want to see what team innovates this year. Yeah, that's such a great point when it comes to the innovation and what we saw last year. And I thought we what we would see this year was defensive coordinators taking time to figure out how they could tweak that approach a little bit. And that's what I expect more from the Chargers. It's part of why I think this could be a low-scoring game. I think these teams are going to ask each other to be patient offensively, and that's going to create turnover opportunities, and it's going to make life tougher on both quarterbacks. So, you know, the the right approach to me with Patrick Mahomes in this offense is the one you just mentioned, and I'm surprised. I will be stunned if we don't see a defense with the talent that the Chargers have take that approach. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. Man, Thursday night football and game three potentially title clinching for the Aces tonight of the WNBA. It's going to be a back and forth. Uh, I was going to say on the TV, but depends on whether you're watching on the app or the TV or you have to wait for the NFL Network replay at 11 p.m. because you're too old to know how to work it. Uh, We talk Chiefs. Let's talk about Chargers next. Lindsay Theory joins us. Spain and Fitz, the podcast.